0: Come on. In morning, Colonial Woods. Good to see you this morning. If you're at home joining us, I want to welcome you as well. Hopefully you're enjoying this beautiful fall morning. It is gorgeous. Tammy and I, we are, uh, we are exhausted. We just watched our two and a half and ten month old grand boys yesterday. And uh, it's hard to imagine that two little guys like that can wear two adults out like that. But we're coming home last night, and we're driving and going, it feels so good just to relax a little bit. So some of you can identify we had a great time as we did that, as uh, Jackson and Porter uh, showed us why they are all boy, and we had a great time together. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you, we're we're going to ultimately end up in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But we're really not going to spend a whole lot of time there. As today we continue a, a journey called God's Classroom. And the reason I say that is today is a, is an overview of some ways to evaluate where we are spiritually. Um, Paul said that when a, a person eats the Lord's Supper, that it is good for them to examine themselves. And uh, I was actually... I don't know what brought it up. I was actually meeting with one of our leaders a few weeks ago. It just kind of off the cuff, I threw out this idea and we both looked at each other and said, boy, that ought to, that'll preach. And uh, this morning we hope to do so. Uh, You mostly, probably all of you have heard the phrase canary in the coal mine. You guys know what I'm talking about when I say that? Canary in the coal mine. You ever heard that phrase? Raise your hand if you have. I just want to make sure. Yeah, most of you have. That's a canary in the coal mine. And, And that really that phrase comes from something that began actually not as long ago as I thought. Uh, I'll be honest, I built my history on Little House on the Prairie, and Charles Ingalls used a canary back then, I just assumed that started back in the 1800s, actually uh, developed, they give it to a guy by the name of John Scott Halden. Um, he is considered the, the, the author or the father of oxygen therapy, and he conjectured because it was such a prevalent issue in coal mines or any mine at that time, didn't have ventilation shafts cut into it. So he suggested that if you could use a a small creature that used a lot of oxygen, they would be more sensitive to that. So when you get down there, if you happen to have toxic gases such as carbon dioxide or whether it be methane gas, that little critter, will pass away before you will. And so the whole idea is they use these canaries, uh, put them in little cages. The, the, the miners would carry them with them. And the whole idea is that that little bird would sing. They like to sing and they would live. But if that little bird died, get out quick. There is something toxic that is in the air. Actually, they, they use them Up until around 1986 in Great Britain, it started in Great Britain back in the early 1900s and continued there into the United States, Canada. They used these canaries. It was the best way for them to determine whether there was a toxicity in the air. Now when I said this phrase a few weeks ago, it struck me that there can become spiritual canaries in the coal mine. They're indicators. They're indicators that all might not be well in our lives spiritually. When Paul says to examine yourself, I think we likely know that we need to examine ourselves, but I think sometimes we don't know how to tell. It's like saying, hey, look, make sure you're in good condition. Well, if you go to a doctor, A doctor will take your blood pressure a doctor will take your temperature a doctor will take blood tests and he'll look at your cholesterol and your your good cholesterol and your bad cholesterol and he'll he'll take a look at your for me one of the things they look at is the liver level where's your enzymes in your liver and uh, you all have probably had this kind of a thing done now and then I try to go every year and it's just one of those things make sure that the the things are working the way they're supposed to and the blood says what it's supposed to the ticker's ticking the way it's supposed to that's how we evaluate each other spiritually or physically but spiritually it's not so clear and so what I want to do this morning with you and it's interesting I sat down with Pastor Ann and I just said Pastor Ann I said I I'm writing this message it's about a week and a half ago and I have some things that I've written down that I can tell when things aren't quite where they're supposed to be spiritually so I asked her, I said, what, how do you tell? It is so interesting how our list just coincided. And then I began to just kind of look at Scripture. And sometimes we look at it exegetically and we take one passage. But then sometimes we need to see the entirety of Scripture to see what we can learn about this whole thing of walking spiritually with the Lord. So what I want to do today is I want to go quickly. And I want to take a quick look at just seven indicators of your spiritual journey now if you find in these areas that you're off a little bit that doesn't mean that necessarily you're not where you're supposed to be but they can be indicators where you ask the question and I would just simply say that if you watch yourself that in four or five of maybe even six of these areas you identify it's a good place for us to take evaluation before we go into communion The first spiritual indicator that I look at is, man, I just have a lagging sense of joy. It's interesting what Scripture says. Nehemiah, when he's speaking to the Israelites, and the Israelites are rebuilding the wall, and they are exhausted, right? They just want to give up. He looks at them and encourages them, and he says, And the joy of the Lord is your strength. David said it almost conversely. When he had sinned with Bathsheba, He says to the Lord in Psalm 51, he says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now, joy deep down doesn't mean that you're always happy. In fact, happiness tends to be connected to happenings or circumstances, but but joy, as you've heard over the years, is something that's internal, and it really is this idea that all is well in my relationship with the Lord and with others. It tends to be an inward out expression rather than an outward circumstance in. Let me ask you, how's your joy level today? I'm a pretty expressive individual. If I'm happy, you know it. If I'm not happy, you generally get the picture. Not everybody's that expressive. This is not an expression. It's just simply, where is your joy level? A lagging sense of joy is a great indication of a spiritual reality. By the way, not long ago, I was meeting with a young man talking to him. And he is making a transition, kind of growing in his spiritual walk. And he asked me, he said, how will I know if I have made the leap, if I have came out of a very oppressive background? He said, how will I know if I am genuinely a believer? I said, well, uh, and how long will it take? I said, I have no idea how long it's going to take for you. But I would tell you two great indicators and the first one is, is that if you have a sense of dread instead of a sense of joy, or when you have a sense of joy that replaces that sense of dread, and when you take the bondage you've been in and you begin to experience freedom, that's a pretty good indication that where you're where you need to be in Christ. Now, number two is connected to it. It's just simply a a sense or a loss of peace. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but in Colossians chapter three, he actually says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, the peace that passes all understanding as we're trusting the Lord, as we're walking with the Lord, as we're focusing our attention on the Lord, Paul says that there is a peace that begins to replace all understanding and it is simply an understanding in my heart that I'm where I need to be with the Lord. John wrote these words in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, that you may know that you have salvation. And so while sometimes our emotions can play tricks on us, the sense of peace in my relationship with God, Paul said it again, Ephesians, or Romans chapter 5, he said that we have peace with God because we have been justified by faith. The resulting fruit should be a sense of peace. How's my peace level today? How's my joy level today? Some of you are already identifying. Number three. The third canary, spiritually, is a lousy attitude. And a lousy attitude doesn't mean you're just mad at the world. A lousy attitude just means simply that your mind is not thinking in the same way as Christ's mind would think. So that makes a little bit of sense. In fact, it says in Philippians when Paul is helping us to understand who Christ is, he says, let the same mind or the same attitude be in you that is also in Jesus Christ. Who, by the way, who even though he was equal with God, made himself nothing, even going to death on the cross, and he humbled himself. And then it says this. It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Verse 12, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Say that with me, church. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Some of you right now want to turn to your spouse and want to say that verse. He says, do everything, not just something. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure children of God. What does that mean? It means you have the right to speak into other people's lives. That word blameless doesn't mean that I'm I'm somehow perfect all the time, but it means that I am living in such a way that it gives me the right to speak into the lives of others so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the words of life. Now, I indicated real quickly, scripturally, four key indicators of kind of a a lousy attitude a lousy mind frame what does it say romans chapter 12 verse 1 through 3 he says we want to experience a transformation of our attitude the way we think and when i'm complaining all the time everything is a complaint philippians chapter 2 verse 14 that's an indication of a lousy attitude Uh, if my relationships are marked by a lack of grace are you catching that? I, I don't show much long-suffering. I don't show much forbearance. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says, bear with one another. Well, if I'm in my relationships, I'm not extending very much grace. That's a good indication that my attitude is not that of Christ. If I'm holding on to resentments, Man, Ephesians goes through a whole thing about anger and anger leading to the, the wrong language towards someone. And that, law, that wrong language leading to an anger that's out of control and a bitterness and that bitterness turning into malicious behavior towards someone and even the malicious behavior turning into an unforgiving spirit as he concludes Ephesians chapter 4:26 to 31. He says he says forgive as Christ has forgiven you or as god has forgiven you in jesus christ and so when i'm harboring resentments when i'm complaining when i am not very gracious toward others last one is patience you want to know whether or not you're dealing okay with patience drive i69 from here to indiana I bet there are 60 miles of construction zones. It is crazy. Now, by the way, if that's the indicator, coming home last evening, and I think it's just because we were both tired, I didn't care how fast I went. I just, I just, I just sat back and I'm just so glad to be relaxing right now. You know, was that kind of a thing. But I really did. I got home last night and I said, you know what, normally that would kind of frustrate me. For me, that was a good indicator. I relaxed. I just kind of had a little bit of patience. Now, patience doesn't have to be something probably quite that foolish but remember what impatience is impatience is essentially selfishness it means you are not moving as fast as i want it done or they are not moving i deserve to be at the front of the line impatience is equal to a selfish spirit that's a lousy attitude how are we doing so far How's your joy? How's your peace? How's your attitude? The fourth indicator is a lack of oxygen. Now, I'm going to have to explain that one because the question is, how are my spiritual disciplines? Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, I read it earlier, it says, let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts. By the way, you have to allow that to happen. Since as the members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do whether in word or deed do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him I mentioned John Scott Halden um, who is that father of oxygen therapy and it's interesting that what he found is that the small animals like a bird they need enormous amounts of oxygen and the reason they need so much oxygen is they expend so much energy by flapping their wings. In fact, we've been fortunate this year. We haven't done a great job at it. Um, we've got these things called squirrels and, and raccoons that have been messing up our bird uh, bird feeders. And I this is the first time we've ever really set up bird feeders and I I thought I got ingenious I mean I I hung them from a tree limb and and I I you know well but I but I did it with a little string and they were they were like not anywhere near anything and I think we walked out on the deck and we couldn't figure out what in the world was eating man these birds are chowing down on this bird seed you know and and I said but it can't be a nothing can reach it and Man, you know, it's amazing how high a raccoon can reach off your deck. He just did a little tightrope thing, and so we had to move it up a little bit. We started getting some hummingbirds. We put a little hummingbird thing, and you know, I, I don't even know the stats on a hummingbird, but it's amazing how much energy they need for something so small because their wings move so fast. That's a typical bird. They expend tremendous energy, energy coming from oxygen in the blood. That's why he knew that if you had a small creature like that, they would consume, they would be way more sensitive to toxic fumes because they needed so much oxygen to survive. Now, if I could just share with you in the Christian life, I find that when we are, when we are starting to see some spiritual canaries, we begin to avoid some things in our life. We begin to avoid the Word of God in a meaningful way. We will read the Word of God, but we will not ponder the Word of God, and we don't really invite the Word of God to speak into our life. This is where it gets dangerous because as Christians, we know how to be Christians. And those of you who have been Christians for maybe a long time or maybe you taught, were taught the discipline of Christianity, we can do these things and yet it, it does without effect. So I can, I can read the word. Number two, I can pray, but I will not pray in such a way as to invite relationship or the Spirit of God to actually change me. I forget who it is, who is a, a wonderful teacher on prayer, but he said, to pray is to change. To pray is to invite God to change your life. Now, this means we're, we're moving from the list orientation of prayer, which is not wrong, but there needs to be some time in prayer where we're actually inviting God to speak into our lives. And we tend to avoid that. We, our, our prayer life, our, our scripture life becomes very compact and it's not change agents. We will fellowship, we just won't fellowship with anyone Who will really press us and challenge us spiritually and I would dare say and there's a lot of things we do in our Christian life to develop our our relationships such as worship and all that type of thing but I would just tell you that the word of God that prayer in a meaningful manner and that fellowship with individuals who will also challenge us and stretch us in our Christian walk those three components are tremendous oxygen in the Christian life And so a great indicator is when I understand my my oxygen level is a little low. Joy, peace, attitude, oxygen. Number five, there's a lack of spiritual victory. Which means the things that I used to have victory over are now tripping me up again. Or the things that I want to have victory over continue to to trip me up. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you're tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. A lack of spiritual victory is an indicator or an identifier that I'm beginning to struggle in ways I used to struggle and I had victory for a period of time that I no longer am experiencing. Uh, The author to the book of Hebrews says it this way, there's a reversion or a regression that is taking place in my spiritual walk. He says you need somebody to teach you the milk of the word all over again because there's a spiritual regression that takes place number six it's a loss of passion now it's interesting and again i I need to be a little cautious how i communicate this because i am a i'm a a fairly what's the word gregarious I'm, i'm fairly expressive And I think that sometimes people think that spiritual passion is running around back and forth on a stage or jumping up and down or a certain kind of expression in worship. And those might be indicators, but they don't necessarily have an indication. My question is where is your spiritual temperature? By the way, I didn't make this up. Paul said this. In fact, it's interesting that Paul even says this. Because Paul is the same one in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, 13, and 14 who tries to identify that they might be doing some of their giftings out of the flesh. So this is the very guy who says, now tap the brakes a little bit. You're doing some stuff out of the flesh. But it's interesting in Romans chapter 12, the other passage that Paul deals with this whole thing of spiritual gifting, he says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joy, joyful in hope patient in affliction faithful in prayer a lack of passion really equates with the word apathy apathio without love passion is love passion is a love for the lord and it struck me and i guess i never really saw the pattern before but when Jesus is speaking to the churches, in the book of Revelation, the the seven churches. It's interesting. I think I put them in your note sheets. If I didn't, I apologize. But it's really interesting what he says to the church of Ephesus, to the church of Sardis, and to the church of Laodicea. Now, Ephesus was started by Paul uh, somewhere uh, between 45 and 55 AD or AD 55. Um, Sardis, we don't really know who started the church of Sardis, only that Jesus communicated to the church of Sardis we think it was the apostle John again right around 45 to 55 AD this would be what 15 to 25 years after the crucifixion and the beginning or the birth of the Christian church but the book of Revelation is being written somewhere around 88 to 93 AD so the church has been in existence for somewhere between 45 and 55 years. The church of Ephesus, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. In other words, you do the right things. Verse 4 says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You don't love me anymore. You're doing the right stuff. you You just don't love me. Revelation 3, to the church of Sardis, he says, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. To the church of Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3, I know your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either. Because you're lukewarm. No, I'm not that's not my words to you, that's Jesus' words to three churches that were between forty and fifty years old, dare say Christians that were between 40 and 50 years old in the faith and it's a it's a reality whether you're 10 years old in the faith or five years old in the faith or 50 years old in the faith or 80 years old in the faith or one year old in the faith there is something about longevity Where we become repetition in religion and we know the deeds, but we've lost the love. And he says, when you've lost the love, that is a canary in the spiritual coal mine. How's my joy? How's my peace? How's my attitude? How's my O2 level? How's my victory? How's my love? My passion? Let me give you the last one. You've lost your song. Nine times in Scripture, it tells us to sing a new song. Psalm 98, 1 says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for He's done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made His salvation known and revealed the righteousness to the nations. He has remembered His love and His faithfulness to the house of Israel. The ends of the earth has seen the salvation of the Lord. And I know, I get it. We're singing here going, but I don't like new songs. <laughs> By the way, if you don't like new songs, you're going to hate heaven. Revelation chapter five: and they sang a new song. And the angels sang a song, and the believers sang a song, and those redeemed sang a song, and it was a new song. Why? It's not, it's not new for newness's sake, simply faking a new song. But what happens what happens in newness is that songs are like prayers. They are like prayers and praises. Think about how many times. Actually, think about the lyrics of the songs that we sing. They are declarations to the Lord of what we admire about Him. They are aspirations to the Lord, or they are prayers to the Lord. And when your prayers become, what uh, 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 repetitious, Jesus says they're ineffective. And so there's a little bit of the repetitiousness of it because it's an indication there's a like it can become a repetition in religion. But what it really is is not just thinking about the new song. It means what has God done lately in your life? What is he doing today in your life? Because a new song is a fresh expression of what God has done in my heart. Again, I don't really care whether or not you ever sing a new song. All I want to know is do you have a new song? It means that God has put a new thing in my heart. I can talk today what the Lord has done for me. As much as I love an altar call from 50 years ago, or 20 years ago, or 10 years ago, or 5 years ago, my question is, has He been speaking to you today? In fact, don't even make it a new song. Just make it a song. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says do not be drunk on wine which leads to debauchery but be filled with the Spirit very next verse continuation same thought And by the way, speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And let your heart, I love this word, incredible, he says, Sing to the Lord, let your heart have a song unto the Lord. 1986, England finally did away with the Canaries in the coal mine. They had better ventilation systems. They had digital systems that were far more accurate than a canary. But it's really interesting. The miners complained. They missed the birds. They were so taught to listen to the songs that when the song is missing you're in trouble get out it took them years to not hear the song and know that they were still safe and and here's here's the great news for you the first indication of something being wrong doesn't have to be death The bird didn't actually have to die to know there was something wrong. They just stopped singing. Because birds sing. And when the singing stopped, they knew it was time to get to where it was safe. How's your song? These words aren't given to us to threaten us. These words aren't given to us to accuse us. These words are given to us like everything else in God's classroom. Not because He hates you. But because He loves you. He wants you to be conformed into the image of His Son. And the Spirit of the Lord is wooing and speaking. And He says that when a man, a woman takes communion the evidence celebration of the anniversary to your relationship with Christ it's good to examine yourself would you pray with me please father whenever I uh, speak you have generally uh, had a a message in an altar call with me before and can I just tell you this morning that when you invite the Holy Spirit to speak into your life he searches us at a much deeper level than what we could just simply search ourselves invite him to search you this morning And there's a lot of power in the question of just simply asking, where am I with the Lord? My joy, my peace, my attitude. Lord, where's my love for you? Lord, I I so desperately want my song. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and renew within me a steadfast spirit, a willing spirit to pursue you. In the book of Revelation, Jesus said in response, return to the things you once did. So Lord, as I stand here, this this is me looking back at the bread which represents your body sacrificially and selflessly broken for me. The juice represents your blood shed for me and I just say once again, here I am. I say yes again. I say I love you again. I say I will follow again. I step close again. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake in the body of Christ. When Jesus gave the cup, He said, this is my cup of the new covenant, my promise to you. It's my blood shed for your sins. That's why when we partake of it, we're even saying, Lord, if there be any unclean way in me, purify me, Lord, forgive me, I pray. He said, do so in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the blood of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are the joy giver, the peace giver, that you are the one who conforms us into your image. We celebrate your grace again as a body of Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing to the Lord this morning? I catch my mind to Calvary Where Jesus lives God bless as you go. Turn to each other and say, keep singing. Do that. Keep singing. God bless as you go.